You're listening to the podcast of Christ Church in Albuquerque, New Mexico. We hope these sermons help you to know God through Christ by deepening your belief in the gospel. The reading this evening comes from Psalm 21. O Lord, in your strength the king rejoices, and in your salvation how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, you gave it to him. Length of days forever and ever. His glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. For you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. For the king trusts in the Lord, and through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall not be moved. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them as a blazing oven. When you appear, the Lord will swallow them up in his wrath, and fire will consume them. You will destroy their descendants from the earth and their offspring from among the children of man. Though they plan evil against you, though they devise mischief, they will not succeed. For you will put them to flight. You will aim at their faces with your bows. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Let us pray. Lord God, we come before you acknowledging that there's nothing that we can do that would make us understand your word more than your Holy Spirit in us. This is why we all depend on you. We depend on your word. We depend on, on your manifestation uh, of your will today. Would you use us? Uh, would you use uh, one another to speak truth to one another after the service? And even would you use me today to preach the word according to your will, according to what is written, and that Jesus may be magnified and glorified today. For your glory, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Hello, everyone. My name is Jordan Rivera, and I am one of six elders here at Christ Church by the grace of God. And if I haven't met you, I would love to. I'm going to be standing right here at the end of the service, and if you want to come and introduce yourself, it would be my pleasure to talk to you and get to know you. Uh, Isn't Christmas your favorite season of the year? Can I hear an amen? Couple amens, that's interesting. Christmas is my favorite season of the year. And actually I'm growing to love uh, now Christmas because of Advent season. Advent season is, is new for, for me and my family. As you know, in the Christian culture where I come from, Advent is more for Catholic people than for Protestants. And as a friend had put it, sometimes for Latinos, being a Christian means to not be like the Catholics. So we miss out on so many good practices like Advent to think of the very heart of Christmas, to think about Jesus Christ in his first coming. So Debbie and I, my wife and I, for the last three years have been, uh, have been intentional cultivating this good habit of remembering the heart of Christmas. Now, what I find interesting about uh, this season of, of Advent is that we look to the past, uh, to the first coming of Jesus, hoping to be changed, transformed in the present to then have hope for the, for the future, for today and tomorrow. And I find interesting that uh, there is something that is linked between 
look into the past that shapes us in a way in the present that then moves us to the future. And in this same lines, a couple weeks ago, I was hearing to a podcast and the guest was saying uh, something in the same lines. He said, we are not changed by our experiences, but we are changed by the meditation of our experiences. So he means that we're not changed by the past or by the thing, by the thing that happened to us, but we are changed by how we interpret that thing that happened us, to us, by how we interpret the past. And this is interesting because uh, this is why Advent is important. It is important to look to the past than to be shaped in the present to have hope for the future. And I think this is exactly what Psalms 21 is doing. The people of Israel are looking to the past and they are rejoicing in the present. They are exalting God in the present, worshiping God in the present, and then they are hopeful for the future. And this is my aim today then that we may recognize that God has been in our past, that he's been faithful in the past, that that may shape us today to worship him together and to worship him through the week, and also that that would shape us to be hopeful for the future. In Psalms 20, last week's chapter, we saw that the people of God were asking God to hear the king, to save the king. They were asking God to hear the king in the day of trouble. Verse 1, if you have your Bibles open, in Psalms 20, verse 1 says, May the Lord answer you, king, in a day of trouble. Verse 4, may he give you, king, what your heart desires. At the end of verse 5, may the Lord fulfill all your requests. So if in chapter 20 we have prayers for the day of trouble, in chapter 21 we have a day of rejoicing, the day of rejoicing, and that's our title uh, today. And we're gonna consider three days, the day of rejoicing, the day of victory, and the day of worship. So right now, the day of rejoicing. The king is now uh, rejoicing in the Lord. We can read that in the first verse. First verse, Lord, in your strength, the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. Verse two, you have given him his heart's desire and have not withheld the request of his lips. Uh, do you remember that language? That's the same language in chapter 20, verses four and five. There's a clear connection between last week's chapter and our chapter today. The Lord had heard the prayers of the people. He had heard the prayers of the king. He had saved the king. He has saved him from the battles. And now the king rejoices and exalts. The day of trouble is behind. Now the day of rejoicing is, has arrived. Now we read in, in verse three that uh, there's more than just answered prayers. We see many blessings. If you have your Bibles, chapter 21, verse three, for you meet him with rich blessings. What are these blessings? You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked a light of you and you gave, it, you gave it to him, length of days, forever and ever. The people of God are approaching God, recognizing that he has not only answered his prayers, but he has given even more blessings, rich blessings, a crown of fine gold, length of days forever and ever. This is a great, uh, great day of rejoicing. And what are these blessings about? Are these just good blessings that God felt like giving to the king and he felt like giving to the people of Israel? Or do these blessings point to something greater? I think we have a hint in our chapter today, at the beginning of our chapter in verse one, that kind of lead us to think that this, these are more than just blessings from God, but God is trying to accomplish something, to show something to his people. We read actually in the first word of the first verse, the name Lord, the name Lord. 
Most of you shall, uh, should have it in capital letters, and, and some of you may even have the name Yahweh or Jehovah. And I'm aware I said the, the name Lord and not the title Lord, and, and there's a reason for, for that. A couple of years ago when I was taking Hebrew for seminary, I, I googled something like biblical Hebrew reading free in Albuquerque for free just making sure that I would get something for free. You know, uh, I was a student, I, I needed that. And a Messianic Jew congregation showed up. Now, uh, the Messianic and, and Jew, meaning that they are Jews that believe that Jesus is, is, is a Messiah. So I actually went to visit them on, on Saturdays and actually for a while I was there reading with them the Old Testament in Hebrew. And I noticed that they still keep this Jewish tradition of reading Lord every time in Hebrew it is written Yahweh. So it is written in, in Hebrew, Yahweh, but they, le they read Lord, they choose to read Lord. So why is this? There's a, here's the, the short, the very short and not so perfect answer to this. So if you're a Jew today visiting us, I am aware that this is a short answer. <laughs> So early scribes, when they were transcribing the Old Testament to new papyrus, they decided to exchange two of the four letters that make the name of the Lord. They exchanged them with two other letters that would, make, that would make it hard to read and to pronounce so that people, as they are reading, they may stop themselves uh, of reading the holy name of the Lord. And instead of pronouncing and maybe even using the name in vain, they may instead use the title. Lord. So every time that actually you see in your Bibles in the Old Testament the title Lord with capital letters, it means that there is the name of the Lord. Yahweh is written there and you have Lord with capital letters instead. Now why am I telling you this story and why is this important for our text today? As you read the first word of our text, the people of God are, are approaching God with the name of the covenant. God had revealed his name to uh, no other but Moses and Israel. And why has God uh, gave them his name? Because he had made a covenant with them. Actually, it started way back with Abraham in chapter 17 and chapter 12, actually making a covenant, uh, telling him that he would make them a people and not only a people, but also a kingdom. So in Genesis 17, God promises that he would, uh, from the genealogy of Abraham, kings would come. In Exodus 19, God says that the people of Israel will become a kingdom. And in 2 Samuel 7, uh, God promised to David that he will build, build him a house, meaning that he will give him a royal family, a royal descendant. Now, the people of Israel know their history. They know the covenants of God. They know that God had promised that he would give them a king. So now they are approaching God with the name of the covenant, and they are saying, Yahweh, you, the God of the covenant, you who promised that, that we're going to give us a king, you have given us a king, and actually you have saved the king, of course, God of the covenant, because you said that this king would be, ha, would, will have an everlasting kingdom. Actually, let's read 2 Samuel 7. 12 and 13, I'm gonna read it for you. Second Samuel 7, 12 and 13. When your days are fulfilled and you lay down with your fathers, I will raise up your offspring after you. You shall come from 
who shall come from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. Verse 13, he shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. God had promised that a, a Davidic king would come and will establish the kingdom, an, an everlasting kingdom. God will establish the kingdom of this Davidic king. Either one king or maybe a never-ending genealogy of Davidic kings, of Davidic descendants that will rule forever, an everlasting house of kings that will reign over Israel. So they were hoping this, for this king to come or for the kings to come to rule. So as we look back to our text, it makes sense now, verse 4. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He asked life of you, and you gave it to him, length of days forever and ever. Yes, this is Second Samuel 7. The king asked what God had promised, an everlasting kingdom, an everlasting king. Verse 5, his glory is great through your salvation. Splendor and majesty you bestow on him. We see glory, we see salvation, we see splendor, we see majesty, all these great blessings, again, that are pointing to something greater. All these blessings are not of the king, they come from the God of the covenant. And through these, the God of the covenant is not making much of the king. God is making through these blessings much of his covenant. He had promised a king and he's given a king and he's giving glory and splendor and majesty. He's making much of his covenant, much of his name. And the people of God understand that and this is why they also make much of God. If you uh, read again this text, you will realize that the people of God are approaching God with the name of God, making much of himself. And, and actually, how do we know that God is in the center of all this? Verse six, for you make him most blessed forever. You make him glad with the joy of your presence. So today is the day, the day of rejoicing. The king rejoices in the Lord and in nothing else. God had given, me, given him so many blessings. He had given him a crown. God had given uh, him uh, joy. He had also given him, uh, we read, try to, to remember, if I can pull this right here. He has, he, has at, he has asked life. God has given him glory. He has given him salvation, splendor, and majesty. But yet, verse six, you make him glad with the joy of your presence. The king rejoices in the presence of the Lord. The king rejoices in the Lord of the covenant because he's faithful and he has accomplished what he promised that he will, that he will do. And yet, all these great things, but he knows that one thing is greater and that is the presence of the Lord. Today, you may be joining us in the day of rejoicing Rejoicing, I hope, in the faithfulness of God. Rejoicing, I hope, in the presence of the Lord. But maybe today you're here with us and, and you're not in the day of rejoicing. You're in, maybe in the day of, of trouble. Actually, as you look to the past week, maybe as you look at the past month, maybe as you look to the past year, it has been a hard year and you just find it hard to rejoice. You find it hard to see the faithfulness of God. 
And I, I am not trying to bring a simplistic explanation of why you feel how you feel, or I'm not trying to minimize your experience. I'm, I'm wanting to encourage you, as we notice some patterns in this text, there are days of rejoicing and there are days of trouble, but we notice in them both that the people of the covenant come to the God of the covenant. Most likely these texts, the Psalms, were read, prayed, sang in the temple, in the presence of the Lord, where together they will use the very revelation of God to bring back to God the very words that God have given to them. Their prayers, their songs, their meditations are shaped by the very words of God, by the covenant of God, and this is what they are praying. They approach God the way that God had revealed to be approached. Their prayers are filled with God's understanding of the past, with God's understanding of the present and the future. In the, day for, in the day of trouble, the people of the covenant come and pray to the God of the covenant with the words of the God of the covenant. And in the day of rejoicing, they come and they exalt God with the very words of God. In both, they come and pour their hearts to God, to the God that is faithful. And how do they know that God has been faithful? Because they have been shaped by the covenant, because they have been shaped by the revelation of God. That's how they know that God has been faithful. If they, if they look to their experiences and they try to see God through the lenses of their experiences, they are not going to see God clearly. But when they see God clearly and then they look to their experiences, they will understand their experiences better. Does that make sense? The people of God come to God being transformed by the covenant, being transformed by the meditation of the promises of God to then approach God, either in the day of trouble or in the day of joy. They have been shaped to trust the Lord. Verse seven, for the king trusts in the Lord. And through the steadfast love of the Most High, he shall, be, he shall not be moved. It is through the covenant love of the Most High that the King is not moved. And I think there are some words of encouragement to us. It is through the steadfast love of God that we can also not be moved. Because God had promised and he's trustworthy. And the people have seen it over and over again. The people trust in the Lord. They trust him in the present and they also trust him for the future. So we go now to the day of victory. From verses eight to 12, we have a tense change. We are moving now from looking to the past to now to look to the future. Verse eight. Your hand will find out all your enemies. Your right hand will find out those who hate you. You will make them a blazing oven when you appear. As you, as you see, there's not only this future tense in common, but there's also a theme in common. And what is this theme? The theme is the victory over the enemies. The day of victory that will come. 
And it is ambiguous as we read this text if it is actually the king who is being victorious or who will be victorious over his enemies or if, it, of, if they are talking about God being victorious over his enemies. And maybe this ambiguity is intentional. Uh, since the king is God's representative on earth, and if the enemies of the king are the enemies of God, and if the victory of God is the victory of the king, then it makes sense that either way is, is fine. By, but, but why can we say this? Why is this true of the king of Israel, and this is not true of the king of Persia or the king of Egypt? Why is this true for the king of Israel? Well, it, it goes back all the way to God. God is the one who made the covenant. He said that he wanted the people of Israel. He said that he was going to give a king. And as we also consider in, in the book of, of Joshua, it was not Israel's idea to have a promised land. It was not Israel's idea to have enemies. They were not looking for enemies and then calling upon God, to, calling God to come and save them from his, their enemies. No, no, no. It's, it's, the story is God bringing a promise, God bringing a covenant to the people of Israel and saying, I will do this, and then calling them to join him in the story of God. And this is what the people of Israel understand, and this is why also their hopes for the future are shaped by the promise of the, uh, of the covenant, and they are hopeful that God will finish what he had promised. So that's why they're looking to the promise, and like in verse 10, you will destroy your descendants from the earth, and their offspring, and from among the children of men, the people of God are being shaped by the story of God and they are talking to God in the very language of God. God wants to destroy evil. And this is why the people can trust that God will do it. Now, I'm, I'm aware that some of these passages can be hard for some people to, to read. Uh, the anger of God, God's wrath, consuming with fire, uh, especially if you're new to the Bible, especially if you are new to Christ church. And we've talked about this in, uh, through the series of the book of Joshua. So maybe you would like to go to the website and listen to what we have said. And, and also if you're a member, I hope you remember what we've said uh, about the uh, the justice of God, the wrath of God, and why this is good. Uh, but let me just get to, uh, maybe to the core about this topic. I'm just gonna say a couple lines here. It is because God is holy, and it is because God is just, that it makes sense that there's a holy and right response to evil and evildoers. It is not right, it is not just for a just God and a holy God to do nothing against evil and against evildoers. It is right for God who is holy and who is righteous to put his enemies under his feet. We have a police station here in the city and we hope for them to do justice. We hope for them to put their enemies and our enemies, right? We hope for them to be just 
But at the same time, I think the reason why sometimes we can be skeptical or maybe uh, even uncomfortable with passages like this is because we haven't seen perfect justice. We haven't seen perfect justice in display. I think that, that we fear, uh, and, and I think rightly, we fear of one being having all authority, all power, all justice. And actually, we even as a society, have a, we have systems in place for that not to happen, for not one being to have all that. And even we try to avoid other, uh, other models of other societies that do have that. So it actually requires faith. It requires faith from us to trust that there is a being who is all-powerful, that he's perfect in justice. But not only that, he's also perfect in love, and perfect in grace, and perfect in mercy. It requires faith from us. Now, this is not new. Our fears are, are not new. Our experiences are not new. As we read the story of Israel, if you remember, I said God promised a, a lineage of Davidic kings well, the very generation of David did not keep the covenant of God. The day of rejoicing did not last for too long before they built other temples, other gods, and they made alliances with the enemies of God, and they even act with injustice upon the people of God. And we don't need to go outside of the Bible to find out this. So, how do we understand then Psalm 21? If the victory of God is not the victory of the king, because the king is making alliances with, his, with the enemies of God, then what about Psalm 21? If the very covenant people of God had become the enemies of God, will God destroy them? What about the promises of God? Jordan, I thought you, you said we can trust God and that he will do what he promised. Who is this king? Who is this person that can be true of him all Psalm 21? I think passages like this with a great expectation of the, of the glory, of splendor, of majesty, and, and, and greatness are good. Passages with a great expectation with, to have the most blessed one with length of days forever and ever are, are right. They, they are setting our expectation in the right way. They are, they are moving our hearts to expect, expect those very things that God had promised. And at the same time, time as we read the Bible, we need to acknowledge that, uh, that as, as we see the line of the Bible, as we see the story of the Bible, as we see the people of God, as, as we see the kings of Israel, there's one thing that we know in is that we cannot trust human beings. So how can we trust God if he had promised one, if he had promised one king, and at the same time, we cannot trust people? Well, we bring our eyes back to him because he's the only one that we can trust because God is the only one in the story that we can trust. So we need that king, and that king is a God-man. John 1, part of one of the songs that we sang in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. John 1, 14, and the Word became flesh. The same Word was God became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen His glory, 
glory as the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. Matthew 1, 1, the very first verse of the New Testament tells us that this is the genealogy of Jesus Christ, who is the son of David, who is the promised son of David and Abraham. He is the king. He comes from the, from the lineage. You want to look to the king whose glory and splendor and majesty are great? Do you want to see the most blessed one with length of days forever and ever? Do you want to meet, meet the king who will swallow his enemies with his wrath? There he is, the God-man in a manger, in a manger, because there was no place available for them. In his first coming, a baby boy, so fragile, so tender, but made no mistakes, he was holding the world by the power of his will, full of glory, splendor, and majesty. Humble and poor. But made no mistakes, he is the very blessed one. He is the one who has no beginning and no end. He's the one with length of days forever and ever. Come and meet the perfect displays of love and justice. Come and meet the perfect displays of righteousness and grace and holiness and mercy. Jesus is the Lamb. Jesus is the King. When we look to the things of this world, when we put our eyes in people, when we put our expectations of, of perfection, when we put our expectations of gladness and joy in the things of this world, they will fail. So that's why we cannot have the day of rejoicing. And even as we look to the future, it is hard to think a day of victory because of the things that we're hoping, because of the things where we're putting our hope in. But when we, we put our trust in Jesus, we find that in his second coming, a roaring lion will put an end to the day of trouble and will bring an everlasting day of victory and joy. He will put an end to your sins and temptations. He will destroy all his enemies. He will put an end to your suffering. He will clear your eyes and wipe your tears. No other name, no other man, no other one, because he is the only one, both perfect in power and in love. So put your hope in him and hope for the day of victory. But until that day comes, until, until the day of victory comes, then what should we do today? We should live in the day of worship. We, we read in verse 13, the people of God finishing this psalm after contemplating past, after contemplating future, they live in the present saying this, be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Until that final day of victory comes, what do we do today? We worship God. The day of worship does not come just because. We learn from the text that as the people of God were looking to the past and were looking to the covenant of God and were looking to God, they, they were shaped in the present to worship God. The, God. the people of the covenant come to the God of the covenant to be shaped by the story of the covenant. 
So this is an invitation for you to come and read the word of God, to be transformed, to desire what God desires, to come to the word and see the will of God to your life, for your life, and that is Jesus. Don't be surprised if you don't enjoy the feast of the Lord, if you are full of the junk food of the world. You will never give your kids junk food if you have prepared for them a feast, would you? When you are filled by the banquet of Jesus, you will not desire the junk of the world. So use this Advent season to nurture your soul. Use this Advent season to put your eyes in Jesus. Consider Jesus before emails. Consider him before Instagram and TikTok. Consider him before notifications. Be shaped by the word of God and not by the things of this world, by the hurriness of this world, by the, need, by the needs of this world. Be shaped by the word of God so that you may be shaped to worship and to have hope. If you wonder why you don't enjoy much the preaching of the word, if you wonder why you don't enjoy much gospel conversations and God-honoring conversations, if you wonder why songs about Christ uh, are not things that you enjoy, maybe because you have been considering things of this world before God, because you're looking to your circumstances and you're looking to the world and then seeing God, you're not gonna see him clearly. But if you look to him first and you're transformed and shaped by God, then you will understand your reality better. This is a constant rhythm. This is not a one day thing of the week. This is a daily thing, an hourly uh, rhythm of life to come to see the faithfulness of God, to be shaped by God, to worship him today and to be hopeful in the future. So today, my friend, if you're here and you don't know Christ yet, you have questions, please come talk to me. I'll be right here. I would love to talk about Jesus and talk to, talk to you more about what I have preached today. Know that you are also invited to come to Jesus. Come friend, come Christian, come and see the King. Come and see him in the manger. Come and see him on the cross. Come and see him resurrected. Come and see him on the Bible. Come and behold him. Come, let us adore him. Glory to the newborn king. Peace on earth and mercy mild. God and sinners reconciled. Joyful all ye nations rise. Join the triumph of the skies. Verse 13. Be exalted, O Lord, in your strength. We will sing and praise your power. Let us pray. Lord God, let us be shaped by your word. Lord God, let us be shaped by your will. Let us be shaped by your covenant. Holy Spirit, move in us. Make us aware of how we are being shaped by the world to understand our past in a different way, to then be fearful of the future and maybe fearful of the present. Let us be as a people of the covenant, as a people of the new covenant with a new king that exalt him today, that come to him e even in the day of trouble, knowing that the day of rejoicing will come. 
knowing that the day of victory will come. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We hope you have been encouraged to deeper life in Christ through the preaching of this sermon. For more information about Christ Church, visit www.christchurchabq.com.